Hello and welcome to Criticism is Dead, a weekly culture podcast about what we're watching and what it all means, if it means anything at all. I'm Helen Keskin Liu, a producer and writer. I'm Jenny Tijong, a culture writer and critic. This week we are discussing Made and The Premise, two shows about the fabric of American society, both socioeconomic and cultural. Damn, oh, you're man. right. You're right. Great thread. It just is. How have you been over our two-week break? What have you been up to? Yeah, it's been, it feels like it's been a while, right? I know, I know. I've missed you, babe. I've missed <laughs> yeah, you a lot. Yeah, you too. Although you still been texting, but uh, yes. it, was, it was kind of nice. It was a nice break. Um, in the last two weeks, I published a story at work that took me fucking forever, but... Yeah, I will uh, link it, I guess, in our Substack if you're interested in reading it. Jenny's um, Jenny's trying to humble brag right now. It, first of all, yeah, you did spend a lot of time on it, but it is well worth it. It ended up doing the rounds, going viral, and honestly, everybody agrees that you are very smart and you know what the fuck you're talking about, and you actually oh talked about something that everybody's think every everybody smart has been thinking about it and hasn't been able to like verbalize it and you really did a great job and i'm so proud of you and i love it <laughs> thank you so allow, much. allow me this older sister moment <laughs> okay. all right okay. thank you so much i appreciate it and uh everyone who's listening to this please feel free to make it uh blow up i don't know like, even more even like more. just give it a, give it a little more juice it could always use some yeah. more some more pay juice uh on on the download so forever forever and always <laughs> <laughs> um but thank you so much pellen how have your two weeks been they've been great mate i've been watching films mm. i've been going to screenings wow. i'm so happy um yeah i watched three films that are gonna come out soon and over the next weeks and months mm -hmm. and all three were really really good so wow i love i love cinema great <laughs> like sign. i love films give us but, give us a tease which which three films so i watched the lost daughter uh -huh. Which is Maggie Gyllenhaal's uh, directorial debut, mm -hmm. starring Olivia Coleman and a whole bunch of uh, fantastic actors. That's coming out on Netflix, I think, in December. Um, and then I watched Come On, Come On, which is a Mike Mills movie. I watched that at New York Film Festival, and uh, that was also great. A good film for podcasters <laughs> like us. Um, and then also I watched Dune the other day, and wow. it yeah. And we'll we'll talk. I don't want to say anything, but um, if you follow me on Twitter, you know that. I love it. Um, but we will we will talk about that next week because it will be coming out on HBO um, very very soon. Very so yeah, that was nice. that's been fun. It's been great. I love I love being back in the movie theaters. Love, I love cinema. It. Love it. <laughs> in the realm of TV, what are you talking about today, Pellen? So today I have grabbed uh, Made, which is a ten episode limited series on Netflix. I've wanted to talk about this for a while. I think I text Jenny to be like last week or something to be like, all right, I'm just letting you know next week. This is me. Mm -hmm. And she was just like, all right, great. And um, I love it so, so much. And I really hope that by the end of this discussion, we've convinced you also also watch it. But this is essentially TLDR. This is about a young mother that escapes her abusive boyfriend and kind of tries to figure out a way to survive independently from him as, uh, yeah, as a poor single working parent. It is loosely based on a novel, like a, a memoir, sorry, not a novel, by uh, Stephanie Land. It was published back in 2019. It's called Made, Hard Work, Low Pay, and A Mother's Will to Survive. A lot has been changed from this book, though. So oh, it isn't, okay. yeah, it hasn't, it, it, the bones of it are there, but a lot of the character names have changed. The place has changed a little bit. It's still mm -hmm. in Washington State, but you don't need to read the book or know what the book is about, basically. 
Um, so how far are you into it? I finished it. I finished it Ooh, yesterday. Yeah. It Fucking was yes. real, like, a few days of just solid watching because these episodes are, they run about an hour on average. Mm-hmm. So yeah. it's not really a short watch, but Mm-mm. I also didn't really want to stop. Uh, it's really compelling. Yeah, I, uh, listen, it's very rare for my husband and I to be super excited about a show, like a new show together. And, um, yeah, we were trying to savor this, man, like, because we both were so gripped from the very beginning and so invested in it. Mm-hmm. But a little bit of background. The showrunner is Molly Smith Metzler. Uh, you might not know who she is. I certainly didn't. But once you kind of figure out how to find her IMDb, you, you find out that she's a playwright. Um, her background in writing for TV includes Shameless. And she also story edited for Orange is the New Black, which kind of it all makes sense, basically, once you watch Made. It kind of fits in under that certain umbrella of working class marginalized America <laughs> in terms of the theme. Mm-hmm. But yeah, as as I mentioned, the show, it's set in Washington State, but it's like a kind of like a made up town that's based on a real town. And the cast, honestly, which is one of the strongest thing about it, uh, Margaret Qualey plays Alex, our protagonist. Nick Robinson is Sean, the father of her child and her boyfriend, ex-boyfriend. Andy McDowell is Paula, which is Alex's mum, but also Margaret Qualey's actual mum. So mm-hmm. love to see it. Nepotism. Um, <laughs> it actually works here, so no shade. But great supporting cast also of uh, awkwardly women of colour, <laughs> such, <laughs> uh, such as Anika Noni Rose as Regina, uh, who plays one of her clients, her richest client, I think. Um, and then Amy Carrero as Danielle, a woman that she meets at the domestic violence shelter. Uh, BJ Harrison as Denise, the head of the shelter, and Tracy Villar as Yolanda, who is uh, Alex's cleaning service boss, basically. Huge shout out <laughs> to Raymond Ablack, who is reprising his role from Ginny and Georgia as a forlorn man, man of color who's pointlessly chasing after a white woman. He crushed it. He looked great <laughs> doing it. Uh, there were a couple of thirst tweets going around um, because there's a fantastic dream sequence scene uh, that you will see once you watch it. But so the first episode is very, very eventful. Like a lot happens. It really throws you into the deep end immediately. Mm-hmm. What was going through your mind when you watched the first episode? Like, what I guess, what were you expecting and what did you get from it after you watched the first episode? I was expecting the show as a whole, just knowing like the barest bit about like the, the premise in general. I was expecting this to be depressing. Mm-hmm. I was expecting it to be dark. The first episode certainly like kind of threw you right into the this like hole of despair about like just everything that's going on um, yeah. and like also all of these structural sort of societal problems with this country that really hinder anyone in this situation like Alex, you know, fleeing from an abusive situation with her child being a young single mother and in poverty. It really just like showed you right from the get-go okay, this shit really sucks and there's yeah. nothing, uh, almost nothing in this country designed to to help make it better. Yeah, extremely same. I kind of thought that too. I certainly thought it wouldn't have been as uh, stark of a depiction as I thought it would be. I don't know why. I just expected something a little bit more, uh, you like know, like... Yeah, inspirational, mm. like, is none of that. I've got to say the first episode and even the second, third going into it, I was kind of triggered. <laughs> mm. And I hate using that word because it's I feel like it's kind of, it's so empty now. <laughs> um, but I grew up poor and mm. there's a moment in 
in the first episode where Alex is sitting in basically a social service uh, worker's booth Mm -hmm. um, trying to figure out how to get money because she... So just a background, she runs away from her boyfriend without any real plan. Like she just like ups and leaves in the middle of the night. And then you see her at this like social services office where she's trying to figure out how to get a loan or a job or housing or any of that. And she's just kind of told by the worker like you have to do this and you have to jump through that hoop and you have to jump through this hoop. And I've been in that office with my mum. Obviously, the difference being I was my mum's translator at the age of like, I don't know, six. <laughs> and the confusion surrounding it and the confusion on Alex's face and the way that it's kind of described and the way that it's like a catch-22 mm-hmm. is extremely accurate. And there's something very special in, I don't mean this in a like, it's the best kind of way, but there's something very special about this being the closest depiction I've seen of what it's like to be poor. And it's kind of showcasing it through the lens of like a pretty young white woman. (laughs) So you have to understand that like for many other people, it only gets worse from Mm -hmm. where she's at. There are many more barriers in their way, whether it is race or language or both. So it's the closest depiction, but also that doesn't necessarily mean it's completely accurate for everybody. But what it does do is it doesn't shy away from the reality of Alex no yeah. one in this film, uh, apart from one character, which is her client, is rich. No one. Like her, it's not like she ran away from a rich boyfriend. It's not like she ran. Up, she has a rich mother. She doesn't really have great options, even if mm-hmm. she were to go back. So it's just very honest, and there really are no, <laughs> there are no violins playing in the background of this mm-hmm. show at all. Like you mentioned, there's no sugarcoating. There's the, yeah, like what what we. What I thought would be is like what I kind of call like persi- persistence porn, which I think is very mm. famous in America because it's like yeah. that whole thing of like she, you know, the pursuit Bo- of happiness, basically. Yeah, and, and bootstraps and, you know, exactly. and all that yeah. stuff. Yeah, it is extremely frank about how incredibly stark poverty is. The main thing that you will get or gauge from it um, as you continue the episodes is that she is one step away from absolutely everything going wrong. And that's kind of how it is. You know, Mm -hmm. you are literally one bad thing, one bad event, one bad happenstance, coincidence, whatever it might be, from your entire life falling apart and kind of going back to square one. The the devices that it uses are the best ways that it kind of does that. So uh, my personal favorite is, um, I'm laughing, but it's not funny at all. I'm laughing because it's not funny. Um, (laughs) The the on-screen numbers of like her bank account mm-hmm. being subtracted as she as she buys stuff. It's super simple and effective. And like I, I feel like we might have seen a version of this in other shows or films, but there's really nothing like seeing like double digits or single digits just slowly going into like negative, essentially. Yeah. And like it's really the tiniest thing can send it into the red. Like there's that yeah. one scene where she was uh you know, getting gas for her car and she yeah. sort of turned away for two seconds too long. And then suddenly, you know, she, she couldn't stop the, you know, filling an extra gallon or something. And like, yeah. you know, that sent her into the red, just that yeah. one few seconds of just like miss att- uh, not paying attention. And she doesn't have a credit card. Like this isn't on credit. Like this yeah. is debit. This is just cash. <laughs> um, I loved it because that's really all it takes. I think many people can empathize with not having enough money at one point in their lives. A lot of people in America can live paycheck to paycheck. So this is all already like you're empathizing. So I do 
want to stress though that despite all of this it is not a hard watch completely like there are hard things about it, there are hard moments about it but overall I was just going through the episodes what about you what did you think about it I thought there were definitely moments and episodes where it was it became extremely painful to watch like yeah her lowest moments. And then when you think that's the lowest moment, actually, no, there's a low, lower moment that's coming up, um, which did make it like kind of excruciating to watch at times because you're just, you felt for her and you really were like, please don't let this happen. Don't don't let this happen to to Alex and the things he has going on. But at the same time, it's really interesting in that it is not like all uh, more or less like trauma porn or or something like that. Like it, is unexpectedly joyful at times. It's unexpectedly yeah. humorous at times. It, yeah. Like, there are moments of levity and, and like, comedy almost that yeah. Um, yeah. range from, like, tragicomic to just, like, outright, like, funny, just, like, ironic um, and sarcastic. And, yeah, it's it kind of paints us as, like, a fully fleshed experience of, of life rather ju- than just, like, everything being so incredibly dark that it becomes yeah. uh, kind of impossible to watch. Yeah, and it doesn't shy away from its bitterness about the whole situation. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, the strongest thing about this show is that it visually shows you in almost like a fantastical element of it. Yeah. Like, when she gets a check from work, for example, like, you'll see on-screen graphics of, like, stuff on like on packaging on boxes that people are carrying past her of, like, the shit that she has to buy for her daughter. And mm-hmm. it's just, you know, th- there, are t- there are two moments, I think, that are really great. Like, when she's in the social, kind of social worker's booth, mm-hmm. um, <laughs> she's, being, she's being given a bunch of forms for federal assistance. Mm-hmm. And uh, the titles of the forms are like derogatory, like shit. Yeah, like you, you, you white trash. Like, yeah, you, you scum. Like you, like all these yeah. things. Which are, yeah, like, yeah, the element of absurdity, but also visually, you know, representing how yeah. she, how the she shame feels. that she feels. Yeah, so. exactly. And then there's another moment where she is in court uh, because there is a custody battle in mm. this, uh, <laughs> where the lawyers are talking, and she doesn't have a lawyer for herself. But like the lawyer of the opposing side and uh, the judge are just talking and all they're saying is just like legal, 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 legal. Because like, mm-hmm. like she doesn't know what the fuck is going on. Yeah. Um, and that is all you need straight up. Like you just need to see that. You need to hear it because that is genuinely how it feels. And that visualization of of that feeling of overwhelming, um, overwhelmingness, it's funny because it's bitter, but it's also juvenile at the same time. But these processes really do make you feel incredibly small and childlike and toothless, mm-hmm. much like a kid. You know, like they're designed to do this to you. They're designed to make you feel small. Mm. So why not showcase that? <laughs> you know, like you have someone that's trying their absolute best and they keep falling into these traps, essentially, where she is set up to fail and maybe 2% of her can make it work. Mm-hmm. Um you know, as you mentioned, there are really, really dark moments because as the season progresses, there is no like clear trajectory of her going up or down. There is progress, but there are also setbacks. And kind of like with each wash of that tide, you really enter that feeling of of helplessness that yeah. really, really drives the point home. There are incredible joys, but there are also like incredible lows. Um, which brings me to Margaret Qualey. What did you think of her? Honestly, this is the first thing I've I've watched her in, uh, oh, okay, like, in full, and 
she kind of really became the character for me, which I know is yeah. like the the basis of all acting and performance. But sure. uh, yeah. she kind of like even the way I don't know if this is particular to her, like in real life, but as mm-hmm. you know, performing as Alex, she had the he, she had particular tics. She had ways that she said, you know, thank you that. And the ways that she could sort of like her expressions on her face, like when she's sort of wide eyed and staring kind of yeah. into nothing that really kind of developed the character and yeah. made her become this, what I assume is like a wholly different, you know, living, breathing person from, you know, Margaret Quayley, the daughter of Annie McDowell. Exactly. Yeah. She's so good in this. I've only ever seen her in The Leftovers. Mm. Uh, she played the daughter in that and it was more of a supporting role but she or like I feel like even in that you really get a feel for the type of actress that she is like she had she was like sardonic in that and like sarcastic and had this like bitterness about her also mm-hmm. um that, that was definitely the character but you could tell that that is also a part of her and she really like has fine and that was years ago so she's definitely grown up as an actor she has completely fine-tuned it for this role I really feel like she's kind of like arrived um, as one of the best actors of her age, Mm. straight up. Like, you know, Alex as a character is written perfectly. She is someone that is like both funny and also like super pragmatic, like super clear eyed about everything. Very strong willed um, and also like very empathetic and caring. Mm -hmm. And I feel like Qualey really taps into all of these elements, which kind of ends up being the biggest draw of watching this like you are so invested in her journey you care so much about her that was that that was it for me you know and you need that you need that for something like this um she pulls it off you know there's so much texture in her as a character and speaking of like texture i i really thought what metzler did with alex's abuser sean who is played by nick robinson do you know this guy have you seen him in anything or know of him in anything? yeah i know of him yeah and this i feel like is kind of an uh, was re- a really interesting role for him to take and i yeah. have to say i feel like he really killed it also yeah i agree so he i haven't seen any of these but he was in a teacher which is on hulu um and he's also love simon and he was also in this like this that ya novel film about the girl that's dying or whatever Anyway, it's just he's so interesting too i hate to say this about essentially the villain of the story but it doesn't entirely villainize him which gives him complexity and it kind of forces the viewer to face that often asked question of people that are abused um which is you know why don't you just leave him (laughs) and it's like so fucking annoying because there are things about this guy that you can see why alex fell in love with him yeah you can see why she stays with him yeah he has moments of tenderness he has moments of like real vulnerability where you get where he's coming from because he also is dealing with you know he's an alcoholic and um he also dealt with a mother that had an opioid addiction (laughs) so you can see where this all stems from there's a reason for all of it yeah the Um, cycles of you know, generational abuse and, yeah, exactly. and how that passes on and how people are trying to break out of it. Exactly, yeah. Um, but what it does do in doing that, um, if you are familiar with or know anything about domestic violence, um, it kind of showcases the MO of the abuser, which is really sad, uh, which is essentially, you have to be miserable with me. Um, and it holds both of these things for you to see and to see how both of these can can sometimes hold equal weight mm-hmm. um let's talk a little bit about andy mcdowell <laughs> 
So Andy McDowell, my first understanding of Andy McDowell was those fucking L'Oreal, L'Oreal ads, dude. Like, <laughs> she was all over L'Oreal back when I was growing up. But she plays Paula, who is Alex's mother. And uh, Paula has bipolar disorder, which you find out pretty quickly. And you kind of see their tenuous relationship as mother and daughter and how the line is blurred between these two roles about, you know, who's the parent and who's the child. Mm-hmm. Alex needs her mum sometimes because she has nobody else and she does not want to go back to Sean or rely on Sean for anything. But her mother is also not the most reliable. No. Uh, so you see this relationship develop and it's actually quite a, it's a bit of a sleeper and, and then it really kind of ramps up in the, in the last third of the episode and it ends up being one of the more like valuable parts of it. Um, yeah. Speaking of generational trauma and generational like cycles of abuse, right. what did you think? What did you think about it? Like, because I was watching this with my husband, and he found her to be annoying because she is annoying as a character, I guess. Um, because it's annoying to have to deal with someone that doesn't know how to take care of herself. But yeah. I actually really liked it. What did you think about it? I mean, the show really puts you through the ringer with each of these characters, right? And yeah. she, Annie McDowell's like Paula. She probably is most emblematic of this um, mm-hmm. as anything. Like, yeah, there are definitely moments that are designed and written to make you be like, fuck, this lady is a parasite on Alex. She is yeah. just like causing so much, you know, trouble and pain. And what does, what do you do with a mother like this? Yeah. And then there are the moments where you're like, okay, I see now why Alex still loves her so much, why she yeah. values her so much, why she needs her to be in her life, why she feels she needs to protect her. Like there are moments like that are so visceral, like when the mm-hmm. when you when Alex first sees her mother um, at one point living in her car in a Walmart parking lot and yeah. it just hits you so much. And again, this is coming from like like we are two people who Yeah love our mothers very much in <laughs> different ways. Yes. Um so it's it's such a a difficult relationship but one that is yeah. like you can really see both the the desperation but also the the love that goes into a complicated relationship like this for me it was really the way that she alex doesn't really know how to walk away from her mother despite yeah, several people codependent yeah just despite several people telling her to um and several people that you know that care for her genuinely whether it's sean whether it's you know people at the domestic violence shelter denise. kind of telling her yeah, yeah denise telling her to like hey you have to look out for yourself you know that right like your mother is an adult and setting that boundary is very tough and you can see how tough it is for alex as well and i really empathize with her at that point because you feel guilt like you sh- his her mother is not just her mother her mother has bipolar disorder so she can't help herself and not that all of her, our mothers have bipolar disorder or have a condition like it but you reach an age in your adulthood where you realize that your parents can't help who they are sometimes and they didn't really have the help that you got or the introspection that you had and they did the best that they could and all you can do as a child is just to kind of like care for them and love them and that is like the encapsulation of Alex and and Paula's relationship which is very specific to them but is also so universal to so many people and that was i think the strongest part about it was like yeah you can see you personally as a viewer can see why why Alex might need to walk away from Paula but at the same time you totally understand why she doesn't because who else does her mother have like Paula as a character is like you mentioned she's so frustrating 
the way that Alex is pragmatic and so clear-eyed about everything, she is the exact opposite. It's so upsetting to see that, and it's so upsetting to see her go through that. There's this one particular episode that really broke my heart. Um, it really taps into something that is um, true for basically everyone, and certainly for firstborn daughters. So, yeah, shout out, shout out to that relationship. It ends up being the strong. It's like a sleeper; like you don't realize it's happening, but it ends up being the strongest thing about it. One of the strongest things about it, I would say. Anyway, saying all of that, we do have one particular critique that I've seen kind of pop up, not so much from critics or or people that have reviewed the series, but just kind of on Twitter, I think. Many have pointed out the casting of women of color in this. Uh, I briefly mentioned it at the top, but the the cast of characters are mostly women of color. Um, And how they, you know, they give Alex, who is a white woman, comfort or hard truths, which is like a, a common trope that we've seen in film and TV over the years. Um, what did you think about that? And what did you think of this critique? I haven't really seen this critique that much, but I, I did think it was interesting, at least, the sort of racial dynamics or maybe unmentioned racial dynamics of especially yeah. the relationship between Alex and her uh, boss, like her cleaning client, mm-hmm. uh, Regina, mm-hmm. who is a black woman who is an incredibly successful lawyer mm-hmm. who lives in this gorgeous, I don't know, like contemporary mansion by the sea, yeah. by the sea whatever you want to yeah. call it. And yeah, how that is like the the derision with which Regina treats Alex at first. Um, yeah, she's a real bitch to her, honestly, at the beginning. Yeah. But then, yeah. you know, ultimately, she becomes almost a savior or a friend of hers. I thought that was an interesting choice. I didn't mm-hmm. know. I think I was a little wary of it at the beginning, especially mm-hmm. because I was like, this is, you know, it's much more likely to have the cold, wealthy woman probably be you know a white woman and it's probably much more likely for a lot of you know a young impoverished single mother cleaning homes to be someone who is not white yeah um so i thought i don't know if that was a deliberate subversion or not but Mm -hmm. i mean ultimately i thought that relationship you know served them both well in and serve the story well but yeah it was an interesting sort of like uh, eyebrow raising moment i think when mm-hmm. i when i mm-hmm. first noted it yeah i don't know if like in the script they're cast that way because they're like you mentioned there's no mention of race so i don't know if mm, some of the names kind of give it away but in terms of you know denise being an older black lady who is very kind um <laughs> i think that is definitely a trope you know but it's what it is, and and B.J. Harrison is incredible and extremely heartwarming. Um, my favorite out of that cast of like women of color characters was actually Yolanda, her boss. We don't spend too much time with her, but she really stuck out to me. And she's really someone that has like stayed with me. She is not the nicest person. She is not someone that cares about what Alex is going through. She doesn't necessarily care that Alex you know, gets into a car accident. She doesn't care about any of it. She is trying to run a business. Like, that's it. You can tell that she is someone that has hardened over time. Whatever resentment she has had in her situation, they've all calcified. And she, I guess she's like in a tax bracket above Alex. Like, she makes more money than Alex for sure because she's her boss. But like, She's a boss, yeah. But at the end of the day, like, she, you can tell that she is someone this is how I interpreted it anyway, is she's someone that probably started where Alex is at and got into where she is. And she clearly has not forgotten what it took to get there. And she holds very little sympathy sympathy for Alex because I think she didn't get any sympathy herself. So I just found her really, really interesting. I don't know why she kind of stayed with me because she's super sobering. 
to Alex and to the viewer as well. She's just like this product of this society. Um, I really like that she is unlikable. Like she doesn't have any sympathy for her. And I just, I think that kind of strengthens it because that's a reality. Like there really are some people that don't give a fuck what you're going through. Alex gets some charity, especially like a lot of charities towards the end of it. But I love that Yolanda gave her none. And I think that had to be depicted. I didn't necessarily care that it was a woman of color that was doing that because it's like, yeah, sometimes <laughs> we don't all want to baby and take care of the white girl. You know, that's how it is. Sometimes they really don't give a shit. But yeah, overall, I really think this is one of the best things that Netflix has put out this year. This is star making performance from basically everybody. I would not be surprised if they all got nominated for Emmys. Um, Obviously, Margaret, but definitely her mother, Andy McDowell, for supporting. But we'll see. We'll see next year. And um, I highly recommend it. You know, just go easy on yourself. Don't binge this. It's very, very heavy. <laughs> All right, Jenny. So what's on the docket for you this week? Uh, so I watched The Premise on FX on Hulu. Um, so this is an anthology series by BJ Novak. Many of you know him, of course, from The Office and from his various, I don't know, writing and other exploits. So there are five episodes, and he wrote all five of them, but two of them were co-written with Josie Duffy Rice and Gia Tolentino, respectively. Mm -hmm. So some things for fans of those writers. Um, <laughs> so each episode is supposed to revolve around like a capital I issue, like social justice allyship, gun control, celebrity worship, social media validation, bullying, etc. And these all star uh, pretty well-known actors. Like you have yeah. people like Lucas Hedges, Ben Platt, Tracy Ellis Ross, Daniel Day Kim in these episodes that are kind of satirical, a little bit fantastical, often like absurd in tone. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. So that's the basic premise of the premise. Yeah. <laughs> um, but... I basically, without watching it, um, I, I kind of wrote it off initially because mm. I think reviews of this were pretty negative on the whole, mixed to negative, including by critics, you know, I read regularly. Yeah. Um, but I ended up watching it and I was kind of pleasantly surprised by some of what I saw, which uh, in my opinion, it's a better series i guess as a whole maybe not some episodes but it's a better sort of like little collection of episodes than some critics uh sort of made it appear to be yeah um so i'll just say right off the bat some of the episodes do really suck like, yeah i'll give an example i really did not like episode one yeah which is the one co-written by josie duffy rice and that's, I assume that's uh, what a lot of people were sort of watching when they were wanted to check out the show and yeah. probably got turned away from it by this. Uh -huh. I so, definitely did. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. Like without reading any reviews, I was like, oh, what's this about? And then um, I started watching episode one and I stopped halfway and I didn't revisit it and until you said that it gets better. Yeah. So episode one, for example, it stars... Uh, Ioide Beery and Tracy Ellis Ross as, as two lawyers who are working to free like a wrongfully imprisoned black man. But, you know, they're aided sort of by Ben Platt, who plays a white ally who sends in video evidence that, you know, the, the guy who was imprisoned was sort of uh, set up by cops, of course. Mm -hmm. Only the incident was filmed on a sex tape. And that sex tape becomes the centerpiece of the story where it just like becomes more and more prominent, whether in the trial or in like media hype. Um, yeah. And this is like an example where I think it's it's supposed to be funny. It's supposed to be comedic and absurd. But I found it not smart. It was not funny. Mm -hmm. It was just way too ridiculous. 
it really pushed the boundaries of like, I don't know, like satire is is this line where things are sort of skewered and made ridiculous. But this one was just like, so clumsy. Uh, This is a really bad episode to have lead the entire series. Yeah, it feels like there was just like nobody in the room to be like, whoa, 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 whoa. Yeah. Pull it back. And I don't know if it's like just the one episodes that are kind of more social media focused or the ones that are actually co-written that are weaker. Um, yeah. I know you also, you didn't really like the the social media Instagram commenter story that was co-written yeah. by Gia Tolentino. Is that right, Pellen? Yeah, I did not like that. I don't know what it is about social media stories on TV like that, but there really isn't anything I've seen that has properly tackled it apart from I May Destroy You. Mm. Like that was the only one that really did it. And that was like super dark because it's like, because it is, it's all so depressing and dark. So I don't know what you can say that is like teaches you a lesson about it. And, and, or like makes you think more than you, you know, more than the surface value of it. And both of these episodes, just like, it was very, very just amateur hour to me in terms of like yes. what, it was, what it was trying to like talk about. Yeah. Social media is like, it, it's really hard to satirize because it is so absurd and, and dark on its own. Yeah. That it's hard to sort of build on that without coming across like a complete like idiot or without yeah. just elevating it to the point where it's so too ridiculous. Um, yeah. Yeah. But yeah, those are some of the weaker episodes. But we both had you know, an episode that we both uh, liked a lot more, which is episode two, Gun Control. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and so in this one, John Bernthal, he plays the grieving father of a girl who uh, is suggested to, to us that, that she died in a school shooting. Mm-hmm. And he starts working for a fictional equivalent of the NRA mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. befriends like a gun nut played by Boyd Holbrook. And mm-hmm. then, you know, things kind of develop from there. Uh, so yeah. this is an example of like, I think what the best of the premise could be, which is that it totally plays with your expectations. You don't really mm-hmm. know where it's going or you think it's going one place, but then it doesn't, it goes in a different direction. Yeah. And it finds the absurdity in a really serious, dark topic. Yeah. But it still has emotional depth and stakes. And and overall, I was I was really surprised by this, especially coming on the heels of, of episode one. Yeah. It's a bit of whiplash, to be honest. Yeah. Um, yeah, man. And such a great lesson in building tension. Yes. Like, um, shout out to John Bernthal for his acting. But yeah, I, I came away with that. Like halfway through it, you're like, this is excellent. And then it just delivers, obviously, because you kind of see where it's coming. Um, mm. But it's just, yeah, it's, it's a great, what, half an hour of good yeah, TV. Really you know? tight. Yeah. Were there any other episodes that you liked in this set of five? Um, I like Butt Plug. um it it wasn't as good as episode two but i liked it because that pitch meeting was fantastic dude i don't know who who they talked to like who they hired to build that pitch meeting up i'm sure there are people that professionally do this where they just like take an idea and just turn it into an incredible pitch meeting yeah Uh, so shout out to those guys it was shout out to those consultants but um yeah what what a fun like i was sold man i was like damn someone needs yeah. to actually invent this fucking butt plug now <laughs> i know <laughs> yeah oh and i'm just like looking at this now but the the main character in that uh the guy who's delivering the pitch who used to be a bully of daniel dakim's character when he was younger yeah eric lang uh, this is the if you ever watched that uh nickelodeon show victorious that was from a while ago so probably not but people okay. my age in the u.s you probably know what i'm talking about 
he played uh psychowitz the teacher on that show mm. which is very interesting i didn't know he had the acting chops to to do this Look so props are him props to him. Uh, he's been in a bunch of stuff though yeah I he's like that true. guy you know you're like oh yeah i know that guy that yeah, that character before. actor yeah. yeah 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 uh i also like kind of i liked some aspects of uh episode three which was the ballad of jesse wheeler starring lucas oh Hedges yeah and Caitlin yeah Deaver and o'shea jackson yeah yeah um yeah. i some parts of it especially the parts where they kind of get into the skewering celebrity and like the mm-hmm. the hill song kind of parody yeah uh those gave me very much like uh the other two vibes oh where for it's, sure it's really good at like handling yeah. the, the absurdity of celebrity yeah 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 oh, i've got to say i also really like the arguments made by the students yeah. about celebrity culture and what it means yeah man that i was like wow that's actually so smart <laughs> like when they were talking i was like damn this is actually pretty intelligent thinking yeah. Um, like so, so something's like yeah, something's like okay. satire can be. It's supposed to be smart. It can be smart and and yeah. funny at the same time. So, I think like at its best, the premise shows that that's possible, and mm-hmm. it's almost like a modern day uh, parable, like all these, and you never quite know where the stories might head. Um, yeah, and it's also really fun, I think, to see these really famous actors take on these roles that yeah, are man so different from what they normally do it's just like pj novak being just basically saying to everyone like hey everybody loves me and they all think i'm so smart and they yeah. all join this show so look at me flex my uh my connections but basically um, what did you think less. of his intros at the beginning i did not like the intros. <laughs> yeah me neither <laughs> yeah that's neither. really just like his sort of uh i guess like narcissism like popping up oh for sure like, i need yeah. to make sure everyone knows this is my thing yeah yeah um, yeah so that it was again like kind of does a disservice to to the better episodes um and i think definitely at worst the show can be simplistic myopic mm-hmm. like the the things it's doing are not creative or no or just like not smart not funny yeah um but, you know, three out of five for, like, decent decent episodes to even, like, one very good episode. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's not terrible. That's more no, than 50%. Bad. So I would, you know, if they were to continue the show, I wouldn't mind it. Get some more issues in there. Get some some better co-writers for some of them. Yeah, I think there there is the potential there for it to be interesting. And this is coming from someone who... Like, I don't really like anthology series that much. Um, But, yeah, I guess... We're going against the grain and recommending some episodes of this. Yeah. We uh, definitely episode two, maybe episode three, and yes, episode five as well. So, yeah, just skip one yeah. and four. Yeah. Skip, skip one it. and four. Yeah. Um, but yeah, give it, a, give it a try and let us know what you think because this is proving to be a pretty divisive show. So. Yeah. This week in culture, we are doing a little bit of a grab bag. So there's no one big thing that we want to talk about. We're just going to kind of breeze through some smaller items, including uh, updates on things that we've talked about on this podcast before. So yeah, let's just get into it. What is one small item in your grab bag, Helen? Um, Let's chat about the Ted Lasso season finale. Yeah. What did you think yeah. about it? We didn't formally talk uh, review season two on the show, but we we mentioned it and it's troubles uh yeah. in one episode <laughs> uh i i kind of was surprised that the finale pulled it off yeah i thought it went in a really smart direction concerning the uh antagonist or potential emerging antagonist yeah 
And so I kind of have to walk back a little bit of the, the critique we had before, but I will say like that still the season could have been a lot tighter, um, but Definitely. I applaud it for where it ended up at the end. I agree. Like, I think they've come up with a delicious villain. I do think despite the little pepperings of what he was going through throughout the season were great signifiers mm-hmm. of what was to come yeah. i still felt like his outburst in that season finale was a little bit random and kind of felt like maybe it should have been a little bit more on the nose or obvious leading up to it but overall yeah, yeah like i'm excited for the next season i'm sure it'll be very very fun i did like uh i think the character that plays him did a little like summary of what was going on in the scripts mm-hmm. uh, and i thought that was really interesting because you could tell that the writers were being really thoughtful about it and i think our critique was that they weren't so we take that back mm-hmm. uh, what about we you know what, how to say sorry we do know how to say sorry look growth okay <laughs> we apologize to the writers of ted lasso we know you're working very for some, hard for some things not not others not others um, <laughs> some things are very random actually um yeah. but what about you? Is there anything else that has been on your mind? Um, I'm going to slightly walk back some of my earlier critique of Foundation on Apple TV+. Plus. Um, oh, not shit. entirely, because I think it's still a bit of a mess that could be kind of clarified all throughout. But yeah. I'll say that despite my kind of early review of it, I've continued watching and I've found it to become more interesting yes. and yeah. intriguing enough for me to really like actually look forward to each new yeah. episode coming out. Yeah. Uh, so we, we had talked about episodes one to three, but episodes four and I think this week five is coming out. And these episodes are actually pretty good. Like the more recent episodes are really well done. Like in terms of just in, like an hour of good entertaining TV, much less confusion, just slowing the pace down a little um mm-hmm. has done wonders for it so yeah shout out shout out to foundation uh obviously we won't say anything completely definitive until the season is done but it has been renewed for season two so i guess the apple guys are pretty confident about it so yeah we'll see yeah. um what about you palin what's next in your grab bag in my grab bag squid game is fucking everywhere it's actually kind of nuts <laughs> like i know that when we <laughs> talked about it we knew that the trajectory that it was going up was um exponential but right like we weren't early like very early to it by any means but not by now all of the publications have like latched onto it like Mm -hmm. it's Mm -hmm. all that the netflix tiktok is posting about um like it's really it's exploded it's It's everywhere like you've got nba stars talking about it you've got it's just everyone like pop stars everyone is on this wave obviously i feel like it's going to be the most popular halloween costume this year Mm. um but just like one experience i had on the subway like yesterday there was like just like this latinx family like mum, dad kid they just brought out a bunch of marbles and then they started playing that game in really gangbu yeah fucking nuts i was like what and they were having so much fun and i was like holy shit this is nuts and then i think (laughs) if anyone has been into like new york uh new york's k-town in midtown Mm -hmm. uh they've they've been playing that that red envelope oh envelope game in like in the middle of the street and there's like huge crowds and everything wow yeah 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 that's so so funny shit because because koreans you know they're like super nationalists like they fucking (laughs) love repping their set so um shout out to them very happy for them but it has been yeah it's been nuts man which obviously you know we talked about a possible season two it's i feel like it's definitely going to be happening now so yeah like they're they're just gonna throw money at uh the showrunner until he says yes more or less other than that 
Uh, the Batman trailer came out yesterday. I'm very excited about it. I know you don't care. <laughs> no, but I will say uh, uh, Zoe Kravitz looked looked beautiful in the screen. Screen oh. going around. Face. Just the card never declines. Um, yeah, she is. She is stunning. I'm really excited about Goth Batman dark was it what are people calling it the my chemical romance batman <laughs> fucking love it and the last little item in our fun mix today is succession which by the time you hear this episode <gasps> will have already returned with its first season yes uh, sorry, with its first episode of season three yes um by the time right now that we are recording it uh, it has not premiered yet, so I'm excited to watch it. But mm-hmm. Helen, you've actually already seen it, is that right? I've seen the the first three episodes because I couldn't help myself. She got some screeners. <laughs> it's fine. It's fine. It's just funny because what I've noticed is like most people that have the screeners have not watched it because really, yeah, man. Like out of like a couple of the critics that I've talked to, they've all just been like, "Nah, man, I can't." I can't. And I get it. I completely get it. I couldn't help myself, unfortunately. Because to me, I don't mind rewatching stuff. Like, to me, I will feel it at the same time (laughs) as I felt it the first time. Um, Yeah, dude. It's very exciting. Oh, I know. So, uh, who are you rooting for for this season? Just want to do some quick quick little oh, predictions like where we are right yeah now. which of the roys are, are you rooting for i uh, i'm like a i'm kind of a kendall girl i don't know Aww. jeremy strong is so good in his performance <laughs> um not that you know we should be rooting for any of these characters necessarily no 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 yeah, but i mean i mean whose corner are you in i am in roman's corner yeah really? man interesting yeah yeah i was roman hive like halfway through season two i was like you know what He's the only one out of all of these that actually, despite him being a little bit pathetic and also wanting daddy's approval, he is still like out of the three kids. He's the uh, four kids. Sorry, Con. Um, <laughs> he's the most clear eyed, um, mm. I think. And I, I actually also think that he's got it. Like he's got the business instincts that the other lot, like the other uh, siblings don't have. Mm-hmm. Beautiful. So that has been our our fun little grab bag yeah. for our culture this week. Yeah. If you are watching anything that we should check out, and there is a lot of stuff out right now, so we're gonna try to get to as much as we can, but yeah. we can't do it all. Email us criticismisdead at gmail dot com or find us on Twitter and Instagram at criticismisdead. Um, as always, you can check out criticismisdead.subsec.com for extra links to everything that we've t- been talking about, um, whatever tweets that are funny, uh, anything that comes up. Yeah. And yeah, please leave a, a rate and review on Apple Podcasts and other podcast platforms of your choice. Uh, we appreciate it. And uh, we love reading any of your nice reviews. We do. Not the bad yeah. ones, though. Not the bad ones. No. Um, <laughs> but yeah, thank you so much, everyone. Uh, tune into Succession uh, week to week. And otherwise, see you next week. See you next week, guys. Bye. Criticism is Dead is produced by Pelin Keskin Lu and Jenny Jijong. Our music is by Rika. Our artwork and design are by Sarah Macias and Andrew Lu. 